Amen. Thank you, musicians and singers. Amen. That offering got me hungry. Amen. Ready for a number one and a strawberry shake. Hallelujah. Praise God. What a testimony. You know, the, you know, God does these things that are so obvious, and yet somehow they get obscured. You know, there's a local restaurant chain that, you know, their menu, they used to close, they had the testimony of the founder conversion and how they set aside Sunday to worship in their clothes. Well, they're now open today serving liquor on Sundays, and they do not understand this lesson. Anyway, I'm not going to preach on that, but what an what a obvious testimony. Okay, Exodus chapter 5, we're going to go there in the Word of God. The riddle says, what does a steering wheel and a TV remote control have in common? They are both used to identify who the control freak is. I have a book in my uh, office called Derailed. This book is the, uh, it is a, a book that is written about CEOs who took over companies and proceeded to drive them into the ground for various reasons. It's a very, very good book. But in this book, it tells the story of a man named Robert Nardelli. Robert Nardelli uh, was one of the top executives of General, Mo- uh, General Electric. And when he did not get the uh, position, when uh, Jack Welch retired, uh, uh, everybody knew that he was going to be very unhappy. And uh, Home Depot was looking for a new CEO. And so they grabbed this man and they put them in charge of Home Depot. The problem with Nardelli is that he was a notorious control freak. He was one of those guys that he wanted everything perfect all the time. And the book says that he had a computer terminal on his desk that allowed him to watch every aisle, parking lot, and checkout station, and shopping cart in any of the 1,962 stores. And then he would sit at his desk and he would spot uh, an employee 2,000 miles away slacking off. And who is that? A manager that didn't take care of something, noticed something wrong in an aisle, uh, uh, even though he was in Atlanta, Georgia, saw an an aisle display that wasn't right uh, in Seattle, Washington. And finally, he created such ill will within the company that they had to fire him. You know, years ago, I was reading a, a very interesting article as a young pastor. And the article was just some uh, insights into counseling people who come to you with various problems and, and, and how you could answer them and help them. i never forget this because one of the things that was in the article is when people come to you and they're battling depression, you should ask them, What is it that God won't let you do? I never forgot that little bit of advice because there's something that is rooted in our fallen nature tonight and that is a desire to control. Before you say, oh, this sermon is for somebody else. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I don't know why. They called me and said, you need to be here. Well, because I said I was preaching on the control freak, and, uh, and so somebody thought you would be helpful to hear it. Now, listen, 
This is something I believe can reside, that resides in all of us. And I'm going to use a control freak in the Bible. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 15. He's now, his name is title is Pharaoh. And so we'll pick up the story, verse 15. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, You are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a thwart in their hand to kill us. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? And why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. And one last verse, verse one of chapter six. Remember, there are no chapter breaks in the Bible. These were added by men later. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Let's pray. Father, I pray the Spirit of God would lay hold of our hearts. We will let you have control what you control. We will take responsibility what you have left us to control. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The control freak. Now, I want you to consider, first of all, Pharaoh, the control freak. And let's think about this passage of Scripture. Now, many of you know that Pharaoh at this time is the most powerful man in the world. And he plays an important role in the story of Moses and in the deliverance of the Jews from Egypt after 400 years of slavery. If you've been a Christian a while, you know that Pharaoh is a type of Satan who is unwilling to release the Jews and as a picture of Satan is to unwilling to release the sinner until uh, the blood of the lamb is shed. And only when that blood is shed uh, is Israel uh, permitted to go free. Uh, how many know that is the story that the only reason sinners can be made free is because the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, shed his blood. And you and I are delivered from sin. But I want to take this story tonight and I want to focus in on one facet of Pharaoh's personality that, that uh, uh, is not just a, a, a picture of Satan, but it's a picture of man in his fallen nature. And I want to make the case tonight that Pharaoh was a control freak. And I want to use this story that we use so that to help you to understand the full story, what has happened is Moses and Aaron have come to Pharaoh uh, and Moses has said, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And he has told Pharaoh, you need to release your, the people of God so that they can go and worship their God. Pharaoh's response is what we're going to look at tonight. Because Pharaoh says, well, 
If the Jews want to go worship God, I guess they have a lot of leisure time on their hand. I guess uh, they have too much free time. I have been negligent uh, and I've allowed these people to become lazy. Um, and so what I'm going to do uh, is they are, well, they are making bricks. We know that Pharaoh had this incredible construction program uh, making bricks and the bricks were made by these Hebrews. And so he said, what I'm going to do is I am going to order them to continue to make the same amount of bricks, but I'm going to take away all the straw. Now they're going to have to make the brick only with mud. This is going to make it much more difficult. They're not going to have the filler. They're not going to have the, 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 the straw that would have worked kind of like a rebar to hold the mud together. I'm going to take away the straw and I'm going to demand that they're just as productive, but they're not going to have the materials that are needed in order to do this job. And so he makes this order and the Jews cannot believe it because Pharaoh is just jerking them around. He's doing this to let them know I am in charge. He is seeking to drive them mad. And the Bible says that he does this. And then when you follow the story through, as many of you know, over and over again, he jerks their string. Time after time, the Bible says uh, that uh, something terrible would happen in Egypt and Pharaoh would say, okay, I'll let you go. Uh, and then as they're leaving, he'd say, no, I've changed my mind again and again. Um, and finally, we know um, when the, the uh, Passover happens uh, and the Jews are allowed to leave. And as they're fleeing, once again, Pharaoh cannot help himself uh, and he changes his mind and he orders his army to pursue them. Pharaoh is a control freak. Now, I believe tonight that this is not just a problem of Pharaoh, but a problem of the human heart. I believe that just like in this story, man is in a tug of war with God over who is going to have their way. All through the Bible, you find men who insist on doing it their way and oftentimes in conflict with God over truly who is in control. Proverbs six eighteen: the heart that devises wicked plans. Proverbs 16, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19, 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. You find in the story, uh, in the Bible rather, over and over again, people who have their own plans and wanted control. Jonah wanted to control who would God would save him and who God would judge. Balaam wanted control over who was blessed and who was cursed. Martha wanted control on how her sister uh, served. Uh, and I could go on and on. Our desire for control, listen to me, it can undermine your marriage. Your desire for control can undermine your relationships with your children. Your desire for control can undermine your relationships uh, with your brethren at church. It can affect your relationship with your co-workers uh, because uh, there's something in us that says, you know what, uh, it's going to be my way or the highway. Why do we struggle with control? I'm going to give you a couple of reasons tonight. One, I believe many times people who have problems with this area of their life are people that have suffered disappointment. Trust sometimes has been broken and they are driven by a sense that I am not going to put my life in other people's hands because people have burned me in the past. Years ago, I read a book called The Surrendered Wife. 
And this is the uh, story. I've preached sermons on it before. This woman is not a Christian. It's very interesting. I, this book caught my attention because, because it was written from a woman in uh, California who was simply uh, a young lady, got married from college, a writer, and, and she brought her controlled issues into this marriage and, and was having all kinds of problems uh, in her marriage. Uh, she makes this statement, uh, the only thing worse than a man you can't control is a man you can control. And in this book, she describes how it nearly destroyed her home. I've used the illustration that she talked about when she was advised to go on a no-control date in which her husband was to could be in complete control. She was not allowed to decide where they were going to go. She wasn't going to order her own food. He was going to order the food for her. He was not only that, listen to this one, ladies. She was not even allowed to tell him which direction to go to get to the restaurant. <laughs> and she describes how she completely fell apart because she was in such control And wanted complete control that even with a husband who simply wanted to take her out to a nice restaurant and bless her, she couldn't handle that. She makes this statement, this quote. She says, long before we fell in love and got married, every controlling wife suffered disappointments. At a young age, some of our most basic needs went unmet. And we made the erroneous conclusion that no one will take care of us but ourselves. That she's saying, you know, the problem many times between someone who wants control is, you know what? There was a time where other people had control and look what it did to me. And they settled to their heart. From now on, I'm making sure. Along with that, I believe the reason why people battle with control sometimes is that they're filled with pride. We're convinced that we know better. The control freak believes if everybody would just do what I want, the world would be a better place. You've seen the t-shirt, I'm not a control freak, but I can tell you the right way to do that. Backseat drivers. I'm not going to go a lot into that because I don't want to counsel a lot of marriage later or anything like that. I know one husband that said, I let her drive, otherwise she will drive me crazy. <laughs> and there are people that, I mean, they, are, they actually just believe that they're smarter. They're better. They're more talented. They're more gifted. And their whole life is just, you know, it's hard because you, you know, they want to just correct everybody. They just want to step in and you're not doing this right. And, And the truth is that this is an issue, and that issue is control. I want you to see something tonight, because the inspiration of the sermon actually was in, in prayer meeting. As I was praying for some things, and God began to just help me. I want to talk to you about, secondly, about how God is in control tonight. And that the fact that he is in control is the foundation of our faith. The Bible says that here is Pharaoh who absolutely believes that he's in control. He absolutely believes that he is the most powerful man in the world and he can jerk this nation around. 
He can toy with them. He can humiliate them. And the Bible says that the children of Israel get mad at Moses. Isn't it something that instead of getting mad at Pharaoh, they get mad at Moses? Moses has arrived that he is going to help them. He is God's man. But uh, how many know that sometimes uh, things get worse before they get better? And so when Pharaoh comes and says, well, you know, your your buddy Moses has come and said, you guys want to worship. I think you got so much free time, so I'm going to give you more work. Uh, And and so they get mad uh, because now life is harder and they go to Moses uh, and they get upset at Moses. You, brother, who want to preach, you better pay attention to this because oftentimes uh, when you're contending in people's lives, uh, things start to get stirred up in trouble. People get mad at you. They get mad at you and when, you know, God is going to happen, but, but they, they don't want that. You know, you, you're troubling the waters. And they get mad at Moses. And so Moses goes to God and says, God, what's up? You told me to come. You said you're going to set people free. Uh, uh, this has gotten worse. Pharaoh's upset. But I want you to hear the words of God spoke to Moses. Um, the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. In other words, God is reminding Moses, Pharaoh's not in control. I am in control. Because up to that point, the children of Israel and even Moses had begun to believe Pharaoh calls the shots. He is in control. God says, I am in control. Now we know what will happen. If you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, you probably know this story. That a series of plagues hits Egypt, blood, frogs, lice, flies, disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, death. And finally, Pharaoh begins to figure out, I don't have as much control as I thought I had. He begins to realize that he is limited. I'm going to remember that old song, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. All right, great choir right there, amen. (laughs) He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know, that was the number one song in pop radio in 1958. In fact, it's the only time a gospel song has ever been number one in America. He's got the whole world in his hands. And that's not just a nice term or a nice phrase or a bumper sticker. It's not just a nice little, uh, uh, little uh, macrame that grandma puts, uh, uh, you know, uh, somewhere in her house. Um, that is true tonight. And I want you to see this evening that God is absolutely in control. And I want you to see it three ways. Number one, God is in control of opportunity. Revelations 3, 7, Jesus said, he who has the key of David... He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. What that means is that God can create opportunity. That he has the ability to open doors uh, and there is no one who can close the door that God has opened. And that means something, especially for people who feel powerless. Especially for people who maybe right now look at their situation and they feel like uh, that they don't have any ability to improve their lot in life or their particular circumstance. They feel that they don't know the right people or they don't have the right education. 
They don't have the right connections. Uh, and that somehow because of that, uh, doors have closed to them that are open to other people. Uh, I want to tell you if it is true uh, that it's who you know, not what you know. Hallelujah. I want to know that you know Jesus Christ tonight. Amen. And he holds the key of David and he can open doors uh, that no man can shut. He can create opportunity. Every year, you know, at the end of the year, when kids start applying to colleges and, and there's all this incredible anxiety in America about getting into the right school or getting a scholarship and, and all of that, uh, you know, that God can open doors. And I've seen people, they've, they've done everything, every backflip, uh, every maneuver, every twisting uh, to try to satisfy people, uh, you know, to think that somehow man is in control. I'm telling you, God is in control tonight. He can bless and help and he can provide and meet needs. Think about David. He's a boy when he's anointed by the prophet Samuel to, be, to become king. And it's no sooner uh, do they have this powerful anointing uh, and everything calms down. Uh, and then he's sent back uh, to go look after a few sheep. He sits there for a number of years, uh, faithfully uh, serving his father, uh, caring for those sheep, killing a lion and a bear, uh, writing some psalms uh, uh, and having a relationship with God, um, probably wondering how is this on earth ever going to take place? Here I am looking after a handful of sheep. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody cares who I am. And the Bible says that one day his father says to him, I want you to go deliver some cheese to your brothers and to the captains of the army. They're there in the Valley of Elah, uh, staged uh, about a possible battle uh, going on. And I just want you to go. He's not even old enough to be in the army. And he goes uh, and he has, he's delivering the food. Uh, uh, Goliath steps up, begins to defy them and on and on. And we know the story uh, that David um, is moved by this. He is outraged by this. Um, and a door opens and that by the end of the day, the Bible says he's in the palace and he would never return to his father's house. A door opened. He could never have opened that door. He could never have managed or manipulated it. But God did it. Joseph is sitting in prison. He is a forgotten man. He has done everything right in life. And yet for what was done right, he has been left and he has been forgotten, languishing inside a prison and Pharaoh has a dream. He cannot uh, uh, understand. He knows that it's some sort of important message. Uh, and and uh, all of a sudden, uh, the, the, his butler remembers when he had been banished to the prison house uh, that he had met a man who interprets dreams. Uh, and he tells Pharaoh and they send for Joseph. Uh, and here is the man uh, that was forgotten, who has an audience uh, with Pharaoh. And as he has this audience, uh, the gift of God works through him. And before the day is over, just like David, uh, he is now a man of incredible influence uh, and authority. God did that. He can open these doors tonight. When you feel like, Pastor, uh, you know what, uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't have the connections, I don't have this or that, he holds the key of David in his hand. We plant men in nations all around the world, uh, and we don't do that because uh, we uh, give to political organizations. We're not connected to governments. Uh, amen. I don't email the State Department or anything like that. Uh, but we serve a God who opens doors in nations. Amen. We can preach the gospel in. Let me just say this. He who opens doors will also close doors. I will close doors that no one opens, Jesus says. 
that there is, listen to me, a window. That those doors are open, but they're not always going to be open. Do not think that you, you can just say, well, I'll do it later. Let me think about it. I'm going to hesitate. I'm going to put it off. It doesn't work like that. The children of Israel are given an open door to go in and possess the land. Uh, and they say, Noah. Uh, and then when God says, that's it. Uh, you're going to die in the wilderness. We've changed our mind. And the next day they try to run into the, the promised land. And they run directly into a brick wall. The window had closed. Because opportunity is in God's hands. And he can open opportunity to you. And he can close opportunity. Secondly, not only is God in control of opportunity, but God is in control of governments. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. We must believe that God is in control and that he is the ultimate authority. We must be careful that we do not believe that we are at the behest and the whims and the vicissitudes of governments and governmental leaders. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in his generation. He controls the Babylonian empire. It is an incredible empire. And one night Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He sees this dream. And in this dream, he sees a, an image that is made of gold and iron and bronze and, uh, and uh, clay. And as he looks at, at this image, he knows that it's a message from God. Um, and as he's looking at it, all of a sudden he sees this giant rock from a mountain come and destroy that image. He doesn't understand what that means, but he knows it means something. Uh, and so he sends, um, uh, just like Pharaoh, uh, for direction. All the sorcerers, all the curanderas uh, uh, are trying to, you know, they're making migas, trying to interpret it a dream, and nobody knows. Um, and Daniel shows up, um, and he says, this is what the dream means. Uh, and he begins to describe something extremely powerful and profound. Uh, he says, there are four kingdoms that are coming. Uh, and he begins to describe uh, the goal golden kingdom of Babylon, the most powerful, glorious kingdom of that day. And he says that kingdom will fall one day to the Medo-Persian Empire. They will take control. And then eventually that empire will fall to the empire of Alexander the Great. That will fall and it will become ruled by Rome. And he describes what has absolutely took place, what's going to take place in history. And he says that there will be um, uh, this, uh, 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 these various governments that are established, uh, but that's not the whole story. He says, you know that rock you saw that destroyed that statue? He says, that's the kingdom of God. Uh, and it doesn't matter. All the kings of man are going to be destroyed, be destroyed by the kingdom of God. You know what? That's why I live for Jesus tonight. Amen. Think about this. The Bible tells us that Mary of Nazareth of Galilee becomes pregnant. Joseph, the man she's engaged to, was going to dump her. And an angel says, Mary's not lying to you, bro. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. There's a larger plan going on. And Joseph believes that. There they are, they're in Galilee, they're up in Nazareth. 
They're there living their lives out. They don't know anything. They just know that God is moving. But here's the problem. 800 years before the prophet Micah had prophesied that that baby would be born in Bethlehem. The truth is that, that Joseph and Mary don't know that. They don't understand that. They don't have the understanding that you and I have. These passages would have been obscured to them. And so here's the drama. The drama is, how do you get a couple, the woman's nearly about to deliver, but she's a couple of hundred miles away or about a hundred miles away. There are no cars, there's no planes, there's no buses. She's a hundred miles away where she's supposed to be to have this baby. There's nobody there to go up to them and say, hey, have you read this? Maybe this, is, you know, it's like, how do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. God moves on the most powerful man in the world of that generation, Caesar. And he decides that he wants a census. And he orders everybody throughout the Roman Empire, go back to the home of your ancestors and there you need to, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, fill out some documents so we can take a correct census of the Roman Empire. And so the most powerful man in the world comes up with the idea and orders an entire empire to return to their homeland. And so they go up to Joseph and Mary and say, hey, you know what, uh, uh, Caesar, I don't know, that guy, he's just crazy, but he wants everybody to go to their homeland. And Joseph's like, my wife's nine months pregnant uh, and we have to go all the way to Bethlehem. Hey, bro, that's, it is what it is. And he puts her on a donkey and they make this trek all the way from the northern part of Israel and Galilee, all the way down to Judea uh, to go to Bethlehem. Um, and they do this uh, because the hearts of kings are in the held in the hand of God and he can turn them wherever he wants to. You know, we got an election coming up. And I would say, number one, is you need to pay attention and you need to register and you need to vote. If you don't know to vote for, read. The one who is for abortion, I don't recommend you vote for as a Christian. The one that's for gay marriage, I recommend that you don't vote for people like that. Anyway, but you know what? God spare us all the anxiety because it doesn't matter who's elected. Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Can you say Amen. The story in the book of Revelation is, listen, I'm talking about the worst government. The Antichrist is in charge, persecuting the church. And yet when you read Revelation, it's about, you know what? It doesn't matter what men do here on earth. There is the throne of God and he is in ultimate control. Amen. And as it is said, if you read the end of the book, we win. Can you say amen? And he holds these governments in his hand. He's in control. Thirdly, God is in control of outcomes. Romans 8, 28 says, we know, know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 is the big picture. It is the sweep of God's control. Let me caution you. There are a lot of religious predators out there. You hear about sexual predators? There are religious predators. And they are out there and uh, they want to pull you aside and they want to give you their pet doctrine. And one of the big pet doctrines that are out there to rip you off tonight, the wolf in sheep's clothing, is this hyper grace. This hyper grace, this hyper Calvinism 
that, uh, uh, you know, this stuff used to sound so goofy 20 years ago, but it's amazing that now some of the big well-known preachers, uh, uh, well-known TV preachers uh, uh, are pushing this uh, hyper-Calvinism, uh, God loves you, we're all going to be saved, Joseph Prince, people like this. And uh, these, uh, this message is basically that, you know what, you're saved. God already knew you from the foundations of the world. Uh, he's already decided you're going to be saved. Uh, and nothing you can do can take that away. The danger of believing that is that then there are other people that God has decided are not going to be saved. And therefore, there's no hope for them. And then if you take it to its logical conclusion, then it also suggests, and why do we even evangelize? If God's already decided who's saved and who's not saved, then what's the point? I don't believe that tonight. I believe the Bible says, whosoever will, let him come freely. That your will is involved in this. And the reason why I say that is because here's this wonderful promise. And this promise, beloved, is how God works with human will to ultimately bring about his picture. It is the sweep of his Control all things. You know what that means? That means everything. That means tonight nothing happens that God doesn't know about. There's nothing in this life that spins out of his control. Doesn't mean that he did it or desired it or made it happen. We are sinners with our own will. But it means that nothing man does is going to overrule what God does. It's not going to change his plan. Pages and words are not going to disappear from this book. You've heard me use the illustration before about imagine if you ever played a master chess player. Now, I know there's some guys here that you think you're pretty good, but you're not that good. If you played one of the best chess players in the world. You are on your side of the board and you are free to make whatever move that you want. You can make whatever move you want. You're free to do it, but guess who's going to win? I want to tell you, he's the master chess player. Do what you want. He's going to win tonight. All things. And the Bible says they work together. You know what that means? It means don't judge things by themselves. All things work together means that there are things that by themselves you're looking at and you say, this isn't right. How did this happen? This is terrible. I don't understand what good comes out of this and on and on and on. It doesn't say that all things are good. It says all things only when they're allowed to work together. I like cake. I like chocolate cake. Sarah, I like pound cake. I'm sorry. I, you know what? That Chick-fil-A thing got me hungry and I, I can't get off it. But how many know you can get all the ingredients of a cake, the flour, the shortening, the butter, the sugar, and all the things that go into a cake. And you can get a spoonful of shortening and then a spoonful of flour and then a spoon. And how many know it's not going to quite taste the same as when it's all put together and baked over a period of time? And yet we do this with our lives. One event. God, how come? I don't understand. You're supposed to be good. Well, he didn't say every event in life is good. He says you are understanding that when all things work together. You're going to be able to look back and say God is good. I serve God with the confidence that he is good. 
And that at the end of my life, I will be able to look back on my life and say it was good. That doesn't mean that every situation and every event is what I want or I can understand. But I serve him because all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And there are times where I've been with people in incredible heartbreak and tragedy. And and I am not going to try to say, well, that is good or All I can say is, if you know what, if we will keep our eyes on Jesus and we will serve him, he is good. And God can take the the most tragic situation and he can work his purposes. My good friend Rob Scribner pastors in Santa Monica, California. Rob has a large family, a lot of grandchildren, great-grandchildren now. Rob Scribner was riding his bike there in Santa Monica a while back along the the promenade and he lost control and he injured himself severely. They rushed Rob to the hospital to take care of him and as they were caring for him, they did some blood work and found out that Rob Scribner had leukemia. They said, had Rob not gotten in that crash, That leukemia would have continued to develop and grow in his body. And by the time he realized it, it probably would have been too late. Praise God for the bike accident. The bad thing worked together to serve a good purpose. And we must believe that he is in control of outcomes. That I cannot correctly judge it. A situation right now. I have to trust that he is in control of the outcomes. And that he can work things together for his good. He is in control. And as Moses and them are, this is terrible. And what's going to happen? And Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh said, and Pharaoh's this. and, And God says, I'm in control. Let me close and then talk to you about kingdom control and we'll pray. I want to say two things very quickly. Number one, let God take control of what is his. The things that are in God's hand, let them be in God's hands. Don't fight God for control. I'm going to say something else tonight in the spirit of love as we move towards our Bible conference. Wife, don't fight God for control of your husband. Your husband wants to preach or he's trying to get involved in ministry and he's trying to contend and God is doing that. Do not put him in a, become in a tug of war with you and your husband's to rope. Where you're so afraid of what happens if my husband wants to get sent out? What if my husband wants to go overseas? What if he, he wants to get more involved? And you find yourself fighting God. You want a miserable marriage? Be married to a man who God has called but will not respond because you won't let him. The things that are in God's hands, let him have. Do not fight him for what belongs to him. Secondly, take control of what God puts in your hands. Because God is in control does not mean that you and I shouldn't exercise self-control. Proverbs 16, 32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. 
Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. God will not serve, uh, God will not obey for you. You have to obey. God will not obey for you. That's your job. He has placed in us a will. We do it sometimes. God, if you don't want me to smoke this marijuana, take it away from me. Why don't you go and flush it down the toilet? Amen. If you don't want me to be talking to Hoochie, then uh, you, uh, you, you call. Why don't you delete her phone number? Well, I just want to, you know, I, I don't get it. Well, why don't you drop Facebook? Why don't you get off Facebook? Why don't you cut off all that social media? You have a will. That's in your control. Lose your temper, you know. And say, well, he shouldn't have got me mad. You're in control. Take responsibility of what God has put into your hands and let God have what he says belongs in his hands. Let's bow our heads. You know, we live in an age where the term control freak has become so popular. Everybody laughs and says, oh yeah, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. But the truth is, beloved, there are a lot of people who feel like my life is spinning out of control unless I can control it, that things are not. And you know what? As a result, they're miserable, they're frustrated, they're depressed. I want to tell you this evening that God is good and he loves you. Becoming a Christian isn't simply bowing your knee and asking God to forgive you. I used to do that as a Catholic. But becoming a Christian was saying, Jesus, you become the Lord of my life. In other words, I'm giving you control. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. But I am making you Lord. I am giving you control. Here's the steering wheel. And from now on, I'm going to serve you. When I became a Christian all those years ago as a young teenager, had lots of freedom, liberty to go do what I want. You would have found me in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You would have found me in revival meetings. You would have found my whole life oriented around the gospel. And people that knew me then, they were utterly shocked at the radical change in my life. And you know why that happened? Because I didn't just say, Jesus, forgive me. I said, Lord, you're Lord now. You are in control and I'm a Christian And so that changed how I lived my life. It changed everything about how my life was ordered because he was in control. Tonight, the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from sin, but it comes with you saying, I am willing to give God control of my life. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from sin and I'm going to come to Christ. I I want forgiveness. Let me say to you that if you try to control your life, you're going to end up frustrated. You're going to end up depressed. You're going to find that you don't have the control you thought you have. But tonight, there's one who loves you and will help you. He's a good shepherd. And if you will give him the reins, if you will let him become Lord of your life, he loves you and he will bless you and he will help you. 
While heads are bowed and we're before God, I want to give an invitation to people here. You are not a Christian tonight. You are not right with God. But you say, Lord, I want to serve you. That's you. While our heads are bowed, I want you to lift your hand. But just put it up high where I can see it. By raising your hand, I need prayer, Pastor. I'm not right with God. I need Jesus in my life. I'm tired of running my life my way. It hasn't gotten me anywhere. It's created a mess. And tonight, I want to turn it over to Christ. I want to serve him. Lift up your hand. I want to give you an opportunity before we do anything else. Would you respond with an uplifted hand? Maybe you're backslidden. You walked with God at one time, but you're not right with God tonight. God's dealing with you. Would you respond? Lift up your hand. All around this building, God, pray for, help me. I'm going to get my heart right. I'm backslidden. I'm not right with God, but I want to get my heart right. Lift up your hand. All around this building, praise God. Thank God for the grace of God tonight. Anybody at all with an uplifted hand. I'm going to move on to other things in just a minute. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, he's in control tonight. Maybe you feel like you live your life in a position of weakness. There are no doors. I'm, not, I'm a nobody. I, I don't have a money. I don't have connections. And, It seems like I'll never catch a break. I'm telling you, he can open doors that no man shuts. God, you are in control. He can make David and Joseph go from waking up in the morning and from a position of powerlessness. By the end of the day, they were sitting in the palace. He can do that. He can open doors for you. He can open doors of employment. He can open doors and in education, he can open doors of ministry, nations. Because he opens doors. And you know what? There's a window of opportunity and those doors can close just as quickly. And when they close, all the effort in the world, nothing will happen. He rules over governments tonight. And friend, you know what? He rules it out in outcomes. That means sometimes we look at something in life and we say, this is terrible, this is bad, that's it. And God says, hold off. I rule in outcomes. And if you will serve me, I can take all the situations of life and in the end, they will come out good. God, you are in control and I'm going to serve you. Let's stand together. I'm going to open these altars tonight. Maybe God is dealing with you and you need to come down to an altar and say, God, I'm putting this into your hands. You are in control. The days of anger, frustration, depression, anxiety. How is this all going to work out? How is this all going to take place? I'm going to put my confidence in you. I don't know how it will work, but you are in control and I'm going to let you be God. Let's sing and worship God tonight. Giving you my heart